Hi, I'm Dr. Whitney Hauser with Dry Eye Coach Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about the short-term treatment of dry eye disease and this unmet need that we're experiencing for our patients. I'm going to be joined with Dr. Paul Karpecki, and Dr. Karpecki is the Director of Cornea and External Disease at the Kentucky Eye Institute. Paul, how are you today? I'm doing great, Whitney. Thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. It's definitely our pleasure. We're happy to have you uh, here and get some insights into what your experience has been in this particular area. I'm going to just dive right into some questions and uh, see what we can learn. So what do you think the prevalence of dry disease is? I know we hear a lot of numbers, and for for those of uh, us who are out there listening right now, it feels like it's everywhere. Uh, you can't open a journal without it talking about dry disease. And sometimes I think our colleagues are a little skeptical. Is it really everywhere? What do you what do you know about the prevalence, the true prevalence in the United States? It's a great question because it really depends on, on how we define it. Because technically, if you go by symptoms that sound like dry eye, like dryness and, you know, irritation, redness, the things that people talk about, you know, getting worse while on digital devices, which during this COVID time had been pretty significant, you would you would get as many, and there was a survey done on this, as, as 42% of all doctor, all patients that see a doctor. So, I mean, if you start taking 42% of the general population, I mean, you're, you're in the huge numbers that are in the hundreds of millions. But if you define it kind of like these longitudinal studies do that are based on signs and symptoms and have a fairly high criteria to, to meet that bar, you're still looking at 30, 32 million people. So that's based on Beaver Dam studies, the, the boss, the Beaver Dam offspring studies by Pulse and others like that. So I think that's a good relative representation. So let's assume a, a really high bar, about 30 million. That being said, if you if you want to say, okay, how many really do doctors diagnose? So if we went in and said, okay, let's look at all the ICD codes, all the EHRs, how many times is, is dry eye listed there? It's about a little over 17 million that are diagnosed. So that's a, that's still a huge number. Just to put it in perspective, think about glaucoma, which which I know we treat and is very important to treat, but that's about 2.75 million. So even just to 17 million that are diagnosed, so definitely seeing signs, definitely seeing symptoms, putting it in their records, um, that's a huge number. What shocks me, though, and, and I know you've given this statistic before when we've when I've been lucky to present, uh, which we're not doing as much now, but when we're lucky to present with you at different conferences, that only about like 1.6 million are therapeutically being treated. So so that's the amazing thing. So there, there's quite a range of, of symptoms to longitudinal studies, to true diagnosis, to those being treated. Uh, but it tells us no matter what you look at, other than perhaps the, the fact that we're not treating enough of them, that the numbers are, are, are enormous. Uh, relative to almost any other disease we might manage. Right. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I think the disparity between the symptomatic patient and those that are diagnosed and ultimately treated is part of the, the you know, reason we beat the drum so loud and so often is that disparity. Because I think as you kind of pulled in glaucoma, our colleagues get very directed, very action-oriented when it comes to glaucoma. And, of course, as they should, it's vision threatening and, and requires treatment. Not always feeling that same level of motivation when it comes to dry disease as we can kind of see bearing out in the statistics. So, you know, we definitely want to continue to highlight that for practices because it presents an opportunity to treat the patients, but also to 
to provide more medical care within their offices. So while dry eye disease, you know, we recognize to be a chronic condition, chronic disease, what do you think about how patients experience symptoms? Is it consistent? Is it inconsistent? I think that's sometimes one of the tough things to wrap our minds around as clinicians. Sometimes they're talking more about their symptoms. Sometimes it's less. What have you found in clinic? Yeah, I think you've really hit hit it on the nail here with this question because I think that's what makes it difficult for clinicians, kind of ties into our last discussion on prevalence is that it does have, you know, a very unique profile, meaning depending on the stage of the disease, it can vary. So, for example, in, in the early stages of, of the disease, where we might call it mild, or it's more of an uh, episodic. And, and episodic doesn't mean severe necessarily. It just means, like, I think I have a level of episodic dry eye. If I, if I have a long flight, um, you know, where we're in an environment that's that's really dry, uh, I will feel it by somewhere in the middle of that, three quarters through a long flight, my eyes start feeling dry, I've got to rub them a little bit, I refocus on what I'm reading or on the computer. And so, I, it, you know, I have that episodic. I don't think it's enough that I would say I, I absolutely need to treat it uh, with a lot of things at that point, but that's present there. And patients with the mild to moderate tend to have the most symptoms. So they will be the ones who will say, you know, it, so to speak, flares up as you get to the moderate level, but it's also more, I'm, I'm aware of this and I'm, I'm feeling it a little bit more. In fact, as you get more progression into more severe disease and the nerves down, start to downregulate, these patients actually seem to get a few less symptoms, but their flares are more significant. They're more related to redness and more related to changes in their vision, and they can't seem to clear that vision. Um, and, and, of course, it can also be symptomatic to an extent. So I think that's what creates a lot of the inconsistency. And I like the way you, you asked this question um, in terms of do all patients have continuous, consistent symptoms? And the answer is no. And it's that way at every stage. And even patients that are more moderate, severe, that you get controlled and, and start out to get to a point where, hey, I finally got them to where they're, they're happy all of a sudden, it's the winter time. They're in a dry environment. The heater's on, and they flare up. Or more so, I think a lot of people think the worst flare-ups are going to be in the middle of the winter. And where we live, Tennessee for you or Kentucky for me, it's actually in the spring. I think it's just the the osmolarity changes becomes hyperosmolar because of allergens. Even if they don't have an allergic reaction, just the allergens, the environment getting into a dry eye, and I get huge flares um, in the spring. It could be comorbidity in some cases. In other ways, it's not there. And you know what's interesting about that is that as you get to, if you think about other inflammatory diseases, and we, we clearly know dry eyes and inflammatory disease, but think of things like atopic dermatitis or asthma or psoriasis. These patients are known to have flares, and that's why you have, you know, your, your inhalers that you carry around all the time if you have asthma, and, and you can be maintained on something milder, but they all get flares during certain times or with sports or with allergies. And this is just the way these diseases are thought of. And, and in fact, when you see treatments for any one of these, atopic dermatitis, asthma, psoriasis, etc., they're based on maintenance and they're based on flares. So we wonder why we wouldn't think dry eye wouldn't be the exact same thing. It's another inflammatory chronic condition like those are. It's external, kind of like atopic dermatitis or psoriasis. So it's extremely similar in that sense. Um, and we're going to have episodes of flare. And I think that's how dry eye is handled. But we do need to differentiate, you know, the early episodic, like me on a plane, 
um, from a flare-up, which is pretty inherent in every stage of chronic dry eye uh, at some point for these patients. Right. It feels to me a little bit like um, there's been sort of an evolution in, in what we've done in dry eye. We've, you and I have definitely been been part of that and been able to see it, and I think our colleagues have seen it too. Initially, we started off with very you know rudimentary <laughs> things that, that helped people, but we're not necessarily getting at the root cause a little bit more superficial. We went into chronic care uh, and chronic ophthalmic medications, which certainly have their place. And now I feel like we're circling a little bit more into what can we layer on top of that? What can we do for those early stages in terms of, like you said, episodic flare-ups for patients? And as you also mentioned, this is not an uncommon finding in inflammatory systemic disease to be able to go in and treat those flare-ups to make patients more comfortable, even though you're continuing to treat the chronic underlying cause of the inflammatory process. So I heard you say the word flare. Uh, can you define that a little bit? That's not probably, I mean, well, I think I've heard that more in, in terms of, say, rheumatology and, and other inflammatory systemic diseases. It's not always commonly used in eye care. How would you, how would you define that? That's a great question because you're right. That flare-ups are, you know, are what we think of in rheumatoid arthritis, for example. Patients will say, I had a flare-up of the disease, and that's a really a common term. Uh, when you get to systemic and other, you know, these are chronic inflammatory conditions too. You know, so so technically it could be considered a flare-up. I think flares make sense just because when you think of the eyes, you know, we're used to, to seeing flare, we're used to understanding a flare-up. We kind of combine to some extent. And we also have to be a little careful with the term because although, you know, episodic is what we describe it as it comes, it kind of goes... Technically, most people who have episodic symptoms are just kind of pre-dry eye, like like I described myself and others. So we we really need a better term, and we also need a term that really kind of shows to to doctors and to patients that this is a significant inflammatory response, and and an episodic symptom or a fluctuation or a change doesn't really connote that to the level that you'd want to have with something like a term like a flare or a flare-up. So I, I do prefer that. It's got medical basis for the term. It fits within the eye, and it, and it really shows a more significant um, response. And it also is very consistent with how the disease works. I can get right. a lot of patients to a good stage. We feel like we're doing well, and I always educate them, you know, that when you have a flare-up, knowing it's going to happen because it's inevitable in any of these chronic dry eye sufferers, you know, just make sure that you have, you know, a treatment available. So you have, you know, corticosteroid for that short-term flare-up to maintain it. And, you know, that's the same way that psoriasis is treated and asthma, which we described. That's the same way rheumatoid arthritis is. And typically, it's the same drug class. So it is, uh, it's really an important thing. But patients seem to get it right away. But as far as the term, I, I like flare because it, it can happen at any point. It could be related to allergies we talked about as a trigger. It could be something in the body. It could be hormonal changes that patients can't even control. It could be medications that are whether systemic medications like allergy medications, glaucoma, topical medications. It could be a whole host, as you know, of environmental components, triggers, surgical procedures. All of these, though, can allow for, I think, a good term, a flare-up um, of the disease. So I like that terminology for that reason, and I'd be hesitant to use, uh, you know, episodic because I find that more of the milder, and it doesn't seem as it doesn't seem to really define 
what's happening here from an inflammatory standpoint. So, so that's why I lean towards that disease. Familiarity in medicine, consistent with the eyes, and it really denotes a much more significant response uh, that's happening. Right. I agree with you. And as we kind of talk a little bit about flares, you know, I guess for me, case history, and I think for a lot of us, case history in terms of dry disease is so critical into understanding where the patient's coming from. Certainly, we rely on surveys to give us an objective value for how the patient feels, but really just having that conversation. So if you're talking to a patient who has an, a flare that's occurring, like what are some of the things you might be asking them about uh, to really define that and to really kind of dig a little deeper for them? Yeah, you know, I, I kind of set the tone really in the beginning uh, of the very first diagnosis when I when I tell them that we, you know, you have you know dry eye disease, and I think disease is an important component. Uh, it kind of indicates chron chronicity plays a role, and I tell them that you know think of this very similar to having any inflammatory condition. I like arthritis as an example because they can all kind of either relate to it or they know someone who's had it even though some of the other examples we gave might be more consistent, but it's all chronic inflammatory diseases like dry eye kind of work this way. You probably know someone who has arthritis or you may have it and, and you'll, you know, you will see a doctor and they'll get it diagnosed and controlled and, and you'll get, take some time to get to that point, but then you'll get on kind of a maintenance. And then one morning you'll wake up and, you know, you can't move your knees or your hands are aching or, or some, you know, joints affected. And, and you go in and you get treated for that flare-up. And, and they put you on something a little bit stronger, but short-term, get you back to normalcy, and you continue that way. And that took me, what, about 10, 15 seconds. I just told the patient, you're going to have this for life. We're going to get it maintained because we know how to do that. You're going to have a flare-up. You're going to know what to do when a flare-up happens. We're going to get you back to a regular component. And so if I didn't have that 10-second discussion, the patient could, might think they, they should be cured and that I don't know what I'm doing because I didn't cure them. They wouldn't know that flare-ups are normal for this and any inflammatory type of disease. They realize they wouldn't realize that it could take some time to get them to a level area, but that even when they're there, they could get these episodes where things get kind of worse. So then I think that sets the stage early. Um, as far as then, you know, what should they expect? Should they have one? And so I tell them it could really affect a number of things. In other words, it could be that your vision deteriorates. You notice that you, you can't clear it or it takes a lot of blinks to clear or it's just staying more blurry. It could be that your eyes look worse. They look irritated. They're red. They're swollen. Anything that kind of indicates it from a look. It could be how you feel. It could be that your eyes have a significant increase in burning or dryness. Um, it, it could be even up to photophobia, depending on, on what the response is and what level um, that they're at. And it could also be diagnosed by this urge to have to use tears extensively or, or any sort of other treatment beyond what they're already using. So really, it's, it's kind of a combination um, of that. And I even go as far as to say that, you know, the triggers play a role. So if you find that you're having to be on digital devices more, that could trigger a flare too. So it's how your eyes look. How do they feel? Are you having an urge to use a lot more, you know, tears than before? How's your vision affected? And what things are you doing that could trigger a flare-up? And a lot of that came from the dry eye summit that you and I were part of. Um, but it's amazing when I took that from that summit and I and the ODOT dry summit, and I put it in place in clinic, how it, it really fit for both diagnosis and for when a patient's experiencing a flare-up of their dry eye disease.
Right. You know, I, I like you, love the arthritis analogy when it comes to dry, and at least in patient education, because it's so familiar. You know, patients get it. They understand that. They understand the, like you described, the chronicity of treatment, but then that exacerbations that you might experience. And I tell you, really one of the, the take-homes that I have, Paul, from what you said is giving them the expectation that this not only could happen, but likely may happen to them, and then what actions to take, because I think that's oftentimes one of the things that dry patients really struggle with is, okay, it's worse, I'm taking my chronic medication as prescribed, now what? And I don't think they know, you know, do I call my doctor, do I not, are they going to do something different? Um, I don't think they know what options are for them. So I think setting the expectations as you outlined is the perfect thing to do. And it really, it really establishes a partnership between the patient and the doctor and the practice so that they know who their resources are and don't, don't struggle. And because struggling patients tend to go find new practitioners and really just start the same conversation all over again. So, That's a great point. It really is. You've t- t- really tied that in perfectly to what happens uh, throughout the country and, and why patients migrate out of practices. And so much of it is setting the expectations and particularly expectations related to flares. So, yeah, you, you said that extremely well. Well, I guess the thing I want to know about next is give us give us some hope. What's on the horizon? What are what's currently available and what do you see kind of emerging in terms of new therapies that may may help our patients that are experiencing a lot of what we've described today? Yeah, I think that that's the exciting part is that what's on the horizon not only because it could be a new drug that gets approved by the FDA, it's just that it will emphasize to all of us um, that how this disease works. It teaches every one of us that flares are part of the disease. So I'm maybe as excited by the drug approval potential as I am by the message it sends to clinicians um, to be able to manage patients because this is just part of that disease. And I think most of us realize that an FDA-approved drug that says that will go that much further. So, you know, exciting area would certainly be, you know, Cala's new uh, drug potential. It's a unique lodopredinol that um, uses nanotechnology, a low concentration um, that's being studied for dry eye disease patients. And they've submitted, you know, they resubmitted their, their drug approval, which means that we, you know, should know within 180 days of, of that potential being there. And, and I also like the fact that it, it kind of will work on many stages of the disease because it's a short-term therapy. I've always said, you know, uh, you probably heard me say as well that if the perfect dis- medication for dry eye disease, uh, as far as signs and symptoms and all the things we described, would be a corticosteroid. But dry eye disease is chronic, and corticosteroids are not chronic, the best chronic therapy. Where they are ideal are for flare-ups, for short-term, to have an impact on the patient that responds that way, just like steroids are used in rheumatology for flare-ups, and steroids are used in atopic dermatitis and in psoriasis, and the list goes on with these chronic inflammatory conditions. So, But people don't often think of that as well with dry eye, and yet that is really kind of part of it. Now, my clinic is, as you know, is a very similar to yours, a referral-type clinic. I'd say pretty much 100%, 99% of patients are referred in. Uh, from optometric or ophthalmology colleagues or rheumatologists. And so it, it, in many times, it, it's, you know, advanced patients. Um, my, I, I know I have over four, 500 
positive diagnosed Sjogren's syndrome patients in the clinic, uh, just based on data we, we looked up for studies. And, and those patients, um, it would validate what they experience so often, which is that, that flare-up that occurs at different times of the year, unpredictable, other than perhaps winter and allergy season. Uh, that can occur even in the summer for some of them and, and other times of the year. So it, it does help establish the fact that this is just an inherent part of the chronic disease. And there are other areas, though, that are also exciting, such as, uh, you know, treatment before surgery. You know, I have, I work with three ophthalmology partners who do a lot of cataract surgery. In fact, as a whole, I think the center does more cataract surgery than anyone in central Kentucky. Um, and, you know, when they send a patient over to me for, that's having a dry eye flare-up or is, is, has a significant dry eye, you know, they don't really want to get the patient back for cataract surgery three or six months later. They're kind of like, Paul, do what you can, but can you get the patient back in a month so I can do the surgery <laughs> at the appropriate time, get the right, you know, biometry measurements, et cetera. Those are ideal patients for, for that are flared up that are going to do better uh, as a pre-surgical treatment uh, to get them controlled quickly and effectively so they can get the results that they need. And then also, you know, we know that surgery can trigger a flare-up. So afterwards, you know, if the patient were to develop that a month later after cataract surgery or whatever, they don't necessarily want to have another medication added in that first time frame. You know, they're on steroids afterwards. That helps. They may have some left over. I'm going to be able to use something on label even better in the future. But it allows that approach to managing these patients both pre-surgical as well as post-surgical. And then I don't think it really relegates itself to just the severe dry eye patients that get flare-ups. I think you can get a flare-up when you're in the mild, moderate category just as commonly. It's just that it gets controlled quicker and, and sometimes doesn't require a lot of other therapies, meaning I have some patients who, you know, are on just omega fatty acids that have uh, GLA in them and, and EPA, DHA and do extremely well because their disease isn't so advanced that they have to be on chronic topical therapy in addition to that. They're on these milder, not that that's mild, but they're well-controlled. They still get flare-ups. They don't necessarily want to get on a chronic medication. Uh, maybe their insurance doesn't cover it or it's not working in that standpoint, but they don't mind, you know, a corticosteroid for, for a week or for what's necessary to get them controlled and then maintain their omegas that balances and does things that they need for the next six months or a year. And that's a mild to moderate patient. If they were severe, I'd have them on quite a few more things, including autologous serum and other options. So my point to that is flares occur in the mild, in the moderate, and in the severe. It just allows you to get away with not having to add so much, but rather just treat the flare-up and let them then be maintained with what you've already prescribed, depending on the level of severity of disease that you're treating. Right. I, I really agree with your message there. And I think, you know, I think a lot of our colleagues perhaps do reserve a lot of the ophthalmic medications for your more severe patients, and then you're kind of behind the eight ball with trying to make things uh, better for the patient. And, and if perhaps if we manage more appropriately in the earlier stages, both from a chronic perspective as well as from a flare perspective, I think, I think perhaps we'd have, you know, it was just at least a happier patient base, if not maybe a healthier one as well. Great point. Well, Paul, I really appreciate the time today and uh, your insights have been really valuable in giving us kind of a new framework at how to look at dry eye and how to look at those episodic or flare-up type situations that our patients are experiencing. I really appreciate you joining us today. 
Thanks, Whitney. It's an honor. I really appreciate you asking me to participate. It's always great speaking with you and to your, your many colleagues that you help out with uh, with this uh, dry eye coach and, and with all you're doing. Uh, I think it helps our profession, uh, all the professions, ophthalmology and optometry greatly, and especially uh, in the long run, our patients. So thanks for what you do. You bet. Thank you so much. And And now I get to at least say I have that recorded, Paul. That was a great honor to hear those words from you, but I get to I get to listen to it again later if I'd like. <laughs> so <laughs> thanks so thank you so much. And thank you to everyone out there for listening to the Dry Poach a Coach podcast. We really appreciate your time. We'll be having new podcasts added soon. So stay tuned.